Hi friends, this is JP, and before we get started, I want to thank our promotional sponsor, Quatrefoil Library, for their work in spreading the word about this podcast. Quatrefoil Library is a community center that cultivates the free exchange of ideas and makes accessible LGBTQ plus materials for education and inspiration. Located in Minneapolis, Minnesota, visit them at qlibrary.org. That's qlibrary.org. I'm proud to say that our podcast is in the top 25% of all podcasts on our hosting platform, Buzzsprout. That's all thanks to you. And if you haven't clicked like or given us five stars or written us a little review, please do. It is life-giving for us. Also, we have a bonus episode for you this week. I read an essay from the manuscript of my essay collection. The essay is about the power and history of our names and how we choose to name ourselves. I hope you enjoy it. On today's episode, you know, it's not just realizing that there are other people like me, but it's the realizing that I'm part of a community that has always existed and will always exist. I'm talking with Paul Kafer about the book Quatrefoil by James Barr. This novel is considered one of the first books that empathetically and positively portrays queer life. For Paul, it provided the language to describe and take back control of his own story. But I think something I've learned is that I actually do often have the power to decide when and how to share those aspects of my life. My name is J.P. Derbogosian, and you're listening to This Queer Book Saved My Life. Let's meet. Paul Kafer. His pronouns are he, him. He was a big reader as a kid. One of his favorite books growing up was Aragon by Christopher Paulini, which is part of the Inheritance Cycle. It's a fantasy series Paul read multiple times. He was born in Illinois, and his parents read to him a lot as a kid and had him participate in reading programs at his local library. Paul got his bachelor's degree and graduate degree from Marquette University. He is a data scientist. Over the course of his career, he has engaged in machine learning and data engineering, which he describes as preparing data for other people to use. He also does something really cool, data sleuthing, which is diving into the data to figure out why it looks the way that it does and why you're seeing what you're seeing in it. Obviously, there is a ton of math in all of this. He is the co-vice president of the board of Quatrefoil Library. He started as a volunteer and then quickly joined the board after that. So it's a big Quatrefoil episode today because we're talking about the novel Quatrefoil by James Barr, which is the library's namesake. James Barr is actually a pen name for James W. Fugate. James was an author and activist. After serving in the Navy during World War II, he wrote the novel. After he voluntarily returned to the Navy, the Navy discovered he was the book's author, and they honorably discharged him. Hmm. The novel breaks a lot of the gay stereotypes from its time. Set in 1946, it follows 23-year-old naval officer Philip. He is engaged to be married, plans on raising a big family, and taking over his own family's bank. But then he meets Tim. They're both navigating relationships with fiancés and wives, but through his blossoming relationship with Tim, Philip slowly begins to come into his own, letting go of a lot of toxic behaviors he had. It's both a novel of its time, i.e. no sex scenes, but one that transcends. You can become a better person through a queer relationship. Here's my conversation with Paul. So tell me, what is the book that saved your life? That was an interesting question to be asked um, as somebody who was closeted, you know, until college. I first thought I wouldn't have an answer because I thought for many people, it would probably be a book that they read as a teenager or maybe even in college. But I realized, I realized that I actually had a really good answer for myself. 
and that is the novel called Quatrefoil, a modern novel, which I learned about due to Quatrefoil Library, which is named for the novel. And it's a 1950 book that was written and is believed to be the first or one of the first novels involving gay characters that had a positive ending for them. You know, unfortunately, for a lot of people in the real world and in novels, the story ends with something tragic like death or sickness or punishment or, you know, loss of a partner or whatever that means. So it was a really cool novel because it's historic and and did have a very positive storyline. When we say saved, what does that mean for you while you were reading it? So for me, reading this novel saved me in more of a healing way. I think for me, you know, being closeted for a very long time and not being exposed to literature with LGBTQ plus characters, this was, you know, part of my journey for kind of that personal healing, for finding my community, for figuring out that I can read content that I do relate to the important aspects of a character, you know, rather than, for example, enjoying a story, but the characters are all straight and something just never clicked with me. So for me, it's more of that, you know, getting to know that there's actually a lot of literature with gay characters out there and, you know, more and more every year. <laughs> when you say healing, what does that what does that mean for you? That could mean a lot of things for different people. So for you, what was that healing journey like when you got the book? Yeah, good question. For me, the healing journey you know, connected to other things, you know, connected to me learning about this library that has all LGBTQ plus materials. For me, this was getting more and more comfortable with my identity and my life. I would say with reading Quatrefoil, it was, you know, for me, the healing was, you know, it's not just realizing that there are other people like me, but it's the realizing that I'm part of a community that has always existed and will always exist. And there have been a lot of people before us who have done, you know, I mean, certainly a lot more work than I have to make things safe for people like me. And so actually, I think I have a better answer about how it saved me was something that took me a while to figure out was the importance of language and vocabulary. And so for me, I mean, I would say that I was closeted for my whole life, but also I didn't have that vocabulary. You know, at some point I kind of had this terminology, oh, homosexuality is wrong or is unethical or, or sinful. But, you know, I never had the terminology that, you know, somebody could be gay or could be bisexual, just simply not having people that I knew personally who identified for a long time. So for me, I think something really evident with reading Quatrefoil was also seeing and recognizing that there was less of that language. And so seeing people struggle in the past, you know, number one, because there weren't as many out people, but also because they didn't have as the same vocabulary. I think it's it's easier today to meet somebody and hear, you know, if, if they share with you how they identify. And if you've never heard of that identity, it can be, you know, really eye-opening to oh, you know, that's actually something that is relatable to me or that's something that I have felt. So, I think the saved is maybe a bit more nuanced in me learning about, you know, the, the history of the community and 
you know, how people interact with each other. What were you relating to? Like what was resonating for you as you were getting through the book? Yeah. As I read Quattroflow for the first time, I think it resonated with me how I would say articulate and thoughtful the characters were. And I won't say I'm always that way, but I aspire to be like that. I mean, I found relatable some of the conflict, although some of it was very different than I've ever experienced. There was definitely, you know, a a storyline involving military service, something that I've not experienced. I think the novel's really good at having realistic characters that have, you know, internal and external conflicts. And so something neat was it's not a spoiler to share that there were two men who are, you know, in love. Um, in the story. <laughs> and, you know, there's a storyline involving one of the characters' family going back to visit them. And, you know, they think highly of him and what he's done for himself and his life. But, you know, how will he share about this partner that he has? Or, you know, if somebody's kind of, you know, figured out <laughs> that he's gay, you know, how will he respond to that? And I thought it was really neat because I'm somebody who often is thinking, you know, perhaps overthinking how I might interact with somebody and, you know, playing in my head, like what they might say and how I might respond. And I think the author did a really good job of capturing that in a way that I'm not sure I've actually read in other novels. Did you ever find yourself using language either from the novel or the characters said like in your own (laughs) life? I don't know if I have specific cases of that. I think for me, it's more of the like high level, like thinking about how, like I was saying, that character was having these internal conversations and thinking about these scenarios. And I guess I think more about how the how the story impacted me overall than like specific language. Wait, so if I'm hearing this right, did you feel that you were connecting more to Paul, the character, or to Tim? Oh, gosh. <laughs> or both. It could be both. Uh, I might need to remind myself which character was which. Philip. Philip, I'm sorry. Oops. Yeah. <laughs> I knew I started with the P. Yes, Philip. Yeah. Yeah, so I found myself yeah relating more to Philip, and and he was the one who had the the family, and he was going back to this like more rural town or more maybe not rural but not urban town, and so he was kind of the one whose internal story I I found that resonated with me because you know similarly I mean you know my my parents live in suburbia, so I'm not really from a rural area, but I can definitely relate to the living more in a city going and visiting family, which is generally in a different um, environment and, you know, thinking about and preparing myself mentally for conversations that I either was expecting or was going to initiate myself or conversations that simply might happen just due to, you know, you never know who might be around and who might ask about your life. What were those converse, those early conversations like with your family? That's a good question. <laughs> Um, for me, I definitely had some awkward conversations that I could characterize with kind of confusion. And it's been interesting because as I mature and as I learn more and get more comfortable with myself, I realized that there's definitely a big component of that that was because of feelings I was feeling that, you know, I kind of knew that this coming out journey was deeply personal and also has impacts to everybody that I care about. You know, over time, I realized that it's, it's the kind of thing that, you know, I wouldn't change how a lot of things have gone for me. But I think something I've learned is that I actually do often have the power to decide, you know, when and how to share 
those aspects of my life. Sometimes it unfortunately happens that somebody finds out, but not always unfortunately, you know, sometimes somebody finds out because they see a picture of you with somebody or you're at a wedding and you haven't talked to them about it, but you brought a date who happens to also be a guy. <laughs> um, but, you know, I, I think something I've learned is that, you know, some of the coming out conversations I had were, you know, fueled by strong new emotions I was feeling. And I, you know, I definitely don't regret because it was very therapeutic to have like an outlet for those conversations. But, you know, I've definitely learned more and more as life has gone on that you don't necessarily have to tell everybody right away or, you know, even everybody in your family, right? You could tell specific people that you identify as an ally. You know, you could tell, you know, as I did, you can tell friends first because you can get their advice on, you know, how, how you might have other conversations. I hope that answered it wasn't too rambly. <laughs> oh, no, totally. I've, I've stopped. People ask me, when did you come out? And I'm like, I'm still coming out. Like there's, it never yeah. ends. Like you're constantly in a state of coming out. Like I can't say, oh, well, April right. 1st, you know, 2007 <laughs> is my coming out date. It's like, mm -mm. yeah, yeah, for sure. And it's like, it will surprise me when you have a conversation or like, I mean, you might be filling out a form for an organization and it's like, oh, list an emergency contact or list a list your spouse. And obviously you don't have to, but it's it can be in a context that you, yeah, as you know, like <laughs> you never expected to come out to those people. After the break, I'll talk more with Paul about reading Quatrefoil, as well as his plan to read a book from every country in the world. Buying a home for the first time can be scary. Can you get pre-qualified? How much will you qualify for? What are your monthly payments? How much money will you need to bring to closing? You need to talk to our friend Ted Bougie from Best Advantage Mortgage. With 14 years of experience, Ted works with several different lenders to secure your financing on your mortgage. No matter your situation, Ted has options for you. What I love about Ted is how his reviews all say how he talks to you like a friend. You can ask him anything. Anything. Reach out and say, Hey Ted. His email is ted at bestadvantagemortgage.com. The Park Tavern in St. Louis Park is your summer destination. The patio is amazing, perfect for you and your friends to grab dinner and drinks. Enjoy a game of cornhole while you indulge in the great food. The full Park Tavern menu is available outside. The Park Tavern also has live music on the patio every Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and even some Mondays through the summer. Reservations are highly recommended. And if the weather does turn, the bowling lanes at the Park Tavern are always open and are spectacular. On Louisiana Avenue, north of Highway 7 in St. Louis Park, the perfect summer is waiting for you at the Park Tavern. A big thank you to Archie, Bill, and Paul for being This Queer Book Saved My Life's first Patreon supporters. Their sponsorship level directly supports transcription services that ensure the podcast is accessible to our deaf and hard-of-hearing audiences. If you would like to be a Patreon supporter, please know that supporters help keep us on the air and promote accessibility. Patreon supporters receive a variety of benefits from this podcast, including shoutouts in our episodes, social media mentions, access to live streaming events, virtual lunch with me, or, even better, Bring Me to Workday, where I can do a talk and Q&A around queer diversity, equity, and inclusion. You can subscribe at patreon.com slash thisqueerbook. When a book opens up a whole new world for us of queer language, it can lead us onto a journey to read the world itself. Here's more of my conversation with Paul. 
as you recall it, what was that experience when you finished it? Like, what were you feeling? I was very excited. You know, I read this book. You know, I read this book that was also, you know, I don't remember the exact year, but it was almost 70 years old at the time I read it. So I I think about things like that and how, you know, I read something that maybe maybe people aren't talking about these days, but I read something that definitely a lot of people talked about, you know, the year it came out, the years following. I also think a lot about like, okay, what else did this author write now? You know, I'm going to have to read other things that he wrote. So, what is next in life for Paul Kafer? <laughs> what is next in life for Paul Kafer? I've got a couple trips planned, a couple big ones in the next... You travel a lot. I do enjoy traveling. Uh, it's definitely been changed with the pandemic, uh, but I will be visiting San Diego. Really looking forward to Michigan in a few months for a good friend's wedding. Nothing international set in stone, although we're thinking about visiting either Toronto or Vancouver Pride. So that'll be cool to be our first international pride. Nice. Today, what books are you into reading? So today, I'm my reading is all over the place, which I think it's it's kind of always been. A big thing I've been doing is working to read a book from every country in the world. So that's something that I'm perpetually oh, wow. working on. Yeah. I love so how many countries so far have you read books from? So I only started keeping track starting a year or two ago. Um, I have read fifty-three countries and you know, some duplicates. I definitely I just read a book from Rwanda and realized I had already read one. So <laughs> is there a type of like how do you pick the book? from the country. Yeah. So I learned about this idea of reading the world when I was in Tanzania. And there was a friend from England who she had started on her journey. And the rules she had were, number one, she won't Google it at all. She has to hear a recommendation from somebody else. And ideally, they're from that country. And then her second one was that, you know, the best books are the kind of book that like everybody has to read in you know junior high or high school, so I'm not quite the same way. I'm I've definitely Googled and I've seen recommendations from you know people on Twitter, people on TikTok. For me, it's kind of more something that piques my interest, and I'm I really like reading graphic novels. So lately, I'm often looking for graphic novels from other countries, which of course that varies a lot because. You know, some countries it's enough to just have an English translated novel, but it's been a fun. It's been fun trying to find things like that. Wow, what were you doing in Tanzania? I was there for five months. Um, I met two Tanzanian guys in grad school, and you know, one of whom came to the U.S. like in January, <laughs> in a Wisconsin winter, while I was getting my master's, <clears throat> and so we bonded pretty quickly just because. Um, you know, I was already kind of interested. We all had the same like thesis advisor who is a, an American and he would go for like roughly a month every summer and really just like sit with researchers and help them with statistics because it turns out people from all over the world tend to run away from math and programming. <laughs> but I am somebody who loves those things. So <clears throat> I went for kind of an extended time just to yeah help with statistical learning and then also just be a resource for reviewing documents. So like technical English communication, which, you know, as a, a native speaker, I was happy to help with. What about for Cotrafoil? What's happening with the library? Yeah, a lot of good things happening with the library. Free membership as of last summer. We did away with fines a couple of years ago, but I still feel like that's a big deal. Um, but yeah, 
things in the near future are more in-person events. I am really looking forward to a, I believe we're calling it a semi-staged play reading, which I think will be one of our first, it, I think it'll be kind of our first in-person event. You know, we've had, we've had like regular board game events, but that's a little bit different. That's more like a club, you know, regular events are, you know, draw kind of at the same crowd. And you'll be at Twin Cities Pride, right? Because you're my mandatory stop. Yes, we... <laughs> yes. Yes, we love Twin Cities Pride. It's always fun to have, you know, the big book sale that, you know, some people like you are targeting and then some people like stop dead on their tracks and like, wait, wait. <laughs> First of all, I can buy books at Pride. Second of all, there are this many. <laughs> and so we we always love being there. It's always a fun, always get a fun crowd of volunteers. We always, you know, it's it's it gives me a chill still to be able to like tell people about the library. You know, because we're still, despite, you know, a growing social media presence, despite you know, we being being in the Twin Cities for 35 years, we still sometimes feel like a hidden gem that people in the community don't know about. And I think, you know, that could be a longer conversation. I think there's a lot of unsurprising facets of that, that, you know, people obviously come out in their own ways and to their own community. And sometimes, you know, you might have a small, close-knit group, or you might be very specific, you know, you might be somebody who more goes to the bars and Quatrefoil doesn't necessarily have a presence at the bars by nature. We're different than that. I remember the t- the first time my partners took me to Twin Cities Pride and, you know, you d- were doing the big loop around <laughs> Loring Park and they were like, oh, you'll like this. It's Quatrefoil. And I'm like, okay. And then we got there and I was like, I'm just going to spend the rest of my time yes. here. <laughs> like, so now I save it. Like Quatrefoil's 10 is always the last one I go to. Like I'm like, I'm going to build to like, I don't want to do it first. Yes. And then everything's <laughs> going to seem like blah afterwards. So the walk always ends at Quatrefoil's 10. I, I can relate. I'm somebody who always likes the feel of, you know, <laughs> those kinds of festivals. And I don't just mean prides, but like any summer festival that has, you know, a plethora of pride, uh, excuse me, a ton of like fried foods and, you know, sugary drinks and sugary snacks. But, you know, pride is not without faults, you know, that there's a lot of corporatization, which isn't what I'm there for and can be really tiring to, you know, get, you know, yet another Frisbee or pen or whatever from companies. So yeah, it's nice to have like a range of things. And and Quatrefoil is always fun because we're next to Red Door Clinic, which is another one that you can stop by and like, you know, get to learn about sexual health and you can it can get tested for free and anonymously. So it's I do like how you can find those um like those niches there. Not even niches, those are those are important. They are. They are. (laughs) Well thank you for your time today. Thank you. You can find out more about the upcoming events Quatrefoil Library is hosting. Also find information about how to be a volunteer and potential scholarship opportunities on their website at qlibrary.org. Also, if you're looking for a book or looking for a new read, send them a message and they will help you out. I know this from personal experience. My discussion with Paul reminded me of the novel One Man Guy by Michael Barakiva. It's a young adult novel, and for me, it was the first time I read a positive queer relationship for a gay Armenian-American teenager. It's a book that I wish I had had when I was a teenager, one I needed. I have to admit, for a very long time, I've been very jealous of today's teenagers. They get to have one-man guy and Heartstopper and queer superhero teams like the Young Avengers and the Runaways. But now, 
I'm scared for them. They're living through a time when they have queer visibility and representation in books, TV, and film, more so than any other teenagers in the history of the United States. And it's being taken away. Queer books are being banned by their schools because their parents are demanding it at school board meetings. Don't say gay bills, banning the words gay and queer from the classroom. Even rainbow stickers are being ripped off the classroom walls. Parents are banning trans and non-binary kids from participating in sports. Talking with Paul today about Quatrefoil, we were talking about a book that brought a positive queer relationship into a world that had all of these queer bans in place. A world where books with two queer people kissing wouldn't be published. Today, kids and teenagers are starting to live in that world again. I don't think it's enough to say that they have the internet and can find all the queer content they like on there, or that it's only some teenagers living in some states who are affected by this and they can just move to a better state when they're 18 or get what they need when they go to college. Our queer rallying cry in the 1980s was silence equals death, so then words equal life. We can't have spaces systematically silenced. We have free speech too. Thanks everyone for listening to This Queer Book Saved My Life. Our new episodes drop every Tuesday. For all of the updates, you can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Transcripts of this episode are available on our website. Please don't forget to support our sponsors, Best Advantage Mortgage, Park Tavern, and Quatrefoil Library. And most importantly, keep writing and keep reading. Keep reading.